Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Glad you guys are here. We're in the series On the Road. I don't know how many of you have taken a road trip yet or how many of you are planning road trips. They're their own unique animals. Every road trip, you have a unique experience when you're on the road. Uh, I heard of, of a phobia. I didn't know this was a real thing. You know, there's phobias for everything. Did you know there's actually a phobia for flat tires? Have you ever heard, honest, I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. The guy said, I'm not preaching now, I'm telling you the truth. It's actually, it's actually a, a thing. Uh, I can't pronounce the word. I'll, I'll make a stab at it. It's uh, clitoris menophobia. Clitoris menophobia. That's as close as I could get to pronouncing that word. It's a thing. They've actually identified people who have a phobia. Now, I hate a flat tire as much as anybody. We had one not too long ago, and thank God Billy was in the truck with me, so problem solved. <laughs> but, uh, but I hate that. I know one time Cindy and Shannon, when the kids were little, they were going down I-35. I was out of town, had a flat. She called me. I said, honey, I don't know what I could. I, I don't. I, and she didn't know how to fix the flat. Shannon didn't even know. She thought when I said something about a jack, she thought it was somebody she went to school with. So they, they, they didn't know anything about anything. And what was a blessing was a guy pulls over, gets out of his car, goes up and changes that tire. Cindy said, man, he was sweating from head to toe. I said, honey, you did get his name. You get his number. I can thank that guy. She goes, I did. But he went out of his way to help my girls. And to this day, I still appreciate what he did. I sent him and his wife a little dinner for two somewhere. I just said, man, thank you for going the second mile and helping. What's my point? My point is I want to talk about roadside assistance. I want to talk about the times in life when people break down on the side of the road when they just need some help. And sometimes when you break down, you don't know how to fix it. You don't know what a jack is. You don't know how to fix a flat. You don't know how to repair the car. You're just there until somebody helps you. And this morning, I want to show you an example from Scripture, a story that Jesus gave that really sets the bar for us when it comes to helping people who are broken down. Sooner or later, everybody's going to be broken over something. Sooner or later, everybody's going to be broken in some area of life. And so as Christ followers, we need to be sensitive to people. We need to be, as a church collectively, we need to be responsive to people when they break down. Part of what we do should be to render roadside assistance. In fact, I'll say this about that. There are at least three people sitting in your seat right now. At least three. There is the person you are at this moment. There's the person you are at this moment. There is the person that you could be for bad, for evil. Every one of us in this room, we have a propensity, we have this proclivity toward doing wrong. We just do. If you know Jesus, you still have an old nature. I've told you before, if you knew how to roll a joint before you met Jesus, you still know how to roll a joint. You still got that nature within you. You know how to do all that stuff. If you get drunk before you knew Jesus, you still know how to get, you hadn't forgotten that. Don't look so pious at me now. You haven't forgotten how to do that. It's still there. What am I saying? I'm saying you got an old nature. I have an old nature. It's always there. It's going to be there till we step in the presence of Jesus. So there is the person that you and I could be for evil, for bad. And then the third person is a person we could be for good. 
We have potential to help somebody. We have a potential every day to be a blessing to somebody. We have a potential, we have a power within us to do something that would, would benefit someone. We have that potential every day. So the choice is up to us, who are we going to be? Which one of those two natures that battle for control will we, will we feed? Because the nature you nurture is the nature that will win. So nature the right nurture. And in this story, Jesus is asked the question by this young attorney, it's in Luke 10, and this young attorney says, uh, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, and I'm summarizing it, Jesus basically says to the young man, the way you live your life will prove whether or not you know me. The way you live your life will prove whether or not you have a genuine relationship with Jesus. He said, uh, to love the Lord your God, the great commandment, is the first part, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, so it's so significant that those two things are a part of the Christian experience. Jesus said that's the proof <laughs> that we really know him, is if we love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and then the second part of that is we love our neighbor as ourselves. So many church times churches put all that emphasis on the first part, we don't get to the second part. We come to these little uh, conclaves of the completely convinced. <laughs> you become this big old holy huddle that never gets out and makes a difference in the lives of other people. I honestly believe if a church genuinely loves God, they will not be able to help themselves. They're going to love other people. One of the ways whereby we know we love him is when we love our neighbor. And of course, the lawyer in the context says, well, who is my neighbor? I don't want to overdo this thing. So who is it that I'm supposed to love and help? And then Jesus gives the story, the story of a man who was on the road from uh, Jericho, the Jericho road, and he broke down. And Jesus gives this as the example. Look at it in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And understand, when you study that section of road in that time period, it was one of the most dangerous roads you could ever, um, ever travel. Uh, being mugged was common. Uh, being killed was not uncommon on that road. So here is a man that we don't really know. We, we assume he's probably a businessman. He's traveling. Uh, maybe he's trying to get home. Maybe he's trying to get uh, to his next appointment. But here is a man <clears throat> doing everything he's supposed to be doing. He's where he's supposed to be. And all of a sudden, man, trouble hits his life. He fell among thieves, the Bible says. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and then went away, leaving him half dead. And then notice what happens in verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When he saw the man, he passes by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, and the Levite passes on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to the, where the man was. He not only came to where he was, but he saw him. Not only did he go to where he was and that he saw him, but he took pity on him. And then he bandaged up his wounds. He poured in oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The Bible then says that the next day he took out two silver coins. Most scholars believe that was probably enough money to take care of this guy for about three weeks as he's rehabbing. He gives them to the innkeeper and he says, look at this. He said, uh, look, take care of this guy. When I return, I'll reverse. If, if that's not enough, I'll, I'll pay more. I'm interested in helping this man get back on his feet. And then G Jesus asked the question, which of these three? Which of these three examples do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell in the hand of the robbers? And the lawyer responds and says, well, it's obvious, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus says, well, then that's it. Go thou and do likewise. When you look at the story that Jesus gave, 
When you study this as I've done, there are three things that jumped out at me, three attitudes. The first one I wanna talk about just for a moment is the fact that there will be people that you're gonna encounter in life who will beat you up. <laughs> there are going to be people who will take advantage of you, lie to you, uh, who will cheat you. There are people in life who will beat you up. The attitude of the robbers in the story Jesus gave, here was their attitude, what's thine is mine and I'll take it. <laughs> it's the attitude of the robber. What's yours is mine, I'll take it. And there are people in life, let's face it, there are people in life you and I are going to encounter who will take advantage of us. I promise you everybody in the room has had an encounter with someone that you were hurt by, someone that betrayed you, someone that cheated you in a business deal, someone that deceived you. So when Jesus gives a story, look, everybody, like all of us, could relate to what he was talking about. Everybody's like, I've been there, done that. You remember that expression, there's a sucker born every minute? You heard that expression? Well, that was actually, remember back in the days of the circus, P.T. Barnum Bailey Circus? Did you know that comment originated, that statement originated because P.T. Barnum had been cheated by a close friend of his out of a lot of money. And somebody asked him about that experience and he goes, well, you know, I trusted the guy. There's just a sucker born every moment. So even that expression that you and I use was born out of the betrayal of someone he trusted. Well, this is a man who fell among thieves. And notice even the phrasing of Jesus. He said he fell among thieves. You don't plan to fall. I don't know how many of you have ever stumbled and fallen uh, in the last few days, right? You don't plan to fall. No, nobody, if you leave here, I hope you don't fall, but if you leave here, nobody plans to fall. I'm gonna, on the way to the car, I think what I'll do, I'm gonna stumble about the time I get to the sidewalk and fall. You don't plan to fall, but falls are inevitable. You, if you walk much, you're gonna fall. If you run any, you're gonna fall. They're inevitable, unavoidable, you're going to fall. Here's a man, the Bible says, who fell. So the point is, don't miss this, he went through an experience that he could not avoid, he could not escape it, he did not deserve it, he didn't bring it on himself, but he just went into something and bad things happened as a result. Oftentimes, I think particularly in the Christian experience, we tend to equate every bad thing that happens in our life to something that we've done wrong. You know, I, I think it's kind of rooted in our... Um, kind of in our DNA and our misunderstanding of a lot of scriptures. Now let me balance that statement by saying, sometimes you do bring things on yourself, so to the flesh, right, of the flesh you reap. So that's true, but, but, but the mystery is not that. I've never had anybody that did something crazy and ended up having a consequence for the crazy actions and they were wondering why they had the consequence. Most of the time they know. They just go, I don't know why that happened. I said that, I shouldn't have, I did that, I shouldn't have. So we get that. The mystery comes when you're like this man, where you're doing nothing wrong, you're where you're supposed to be, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, and all of a sudden, you're beaten up, broken, bloodied, and left for dead. That's where the mystery comes in. And so there's sometimes you go through things in life that make no sense, that just simply are not fair. Remember the man born blind in John 9? And the disciples asked, now these are the disciples, they asked Jesus, get this, who sinned, the man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Now get their thinking, probe their mind for a little bit. They were saying, surely this happened to this guy as a result of sin. God was punishing them over something. And how ridiculous is that? Because the man was born blind. How did he sin before he was born? Does this man sin, the question was? Or his and then here, notice what Jesus said. John 9, he said, neither. This is not about that. He said, this is so that the glory of God might be manifested through his life. 
Meaning that sometimes God doesn't cause things to happen, but he allows things to happen because he has a purpose in all of the things that happen. And here is a man who God obviously allowed some things that he was going to go through to go through. We're living in a fallen world. We're living in an evil world. And sometimes, guys, we're just going to encounter these kinds of things, and sometimes we're going to be faced with these kinds of people. In fact, the Bible gives us some insight into the, the heart of the thief in Matthew 15, 19. It says the problem is it's not social reformation they need. They need spiritual regeneration. Sometimes we think, well, the way you, you, know, you handle someone who takes advantage of other people, and that's just who they are, and that's just what they do, is you have to reform them socially. There has to be some sort of societal reform. Now, don't get me wrong. I think you have to have certain laws in place to keep people from doing this openly and, and wantonly and free of any type of restriction, but you cannot legislate a change of heart. And what the Bible deals with is a person will ultimately do what they do because it comes out of their heart. The Bible says it's what's in the person that defiles them, um, not what goes into the person. In other words, until the person's heart is changed, until there is spiritual regeneration, social reformation will not ultimately change them. In fact, in Titus chapter three, the Bible says God saved us, not because of anything we've done, but according to his mercy, how? By the washing, and here's the word, of regeneration. Think about regened. Ancestry means that everything that happened before me will happen after me. Apple tree will produce apples. Oranges will produce oranges. So I'm suggesting that the only way that happens, that changes, is for there to be something genetically that would happen so an apple tree could produce an orange. It would take a, 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 a genetic change. Well, it's interesting that the word the Bible uses to describe salvation is regeneration, regening, meaning that God, when you uh, receive him as Savior and the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life, God now gives you a power within you so that your apple tree can produce oranges. You're not a slave to your sin nature. You no longer have to go with every temptation. There now is a power within you greater than the pressure around you. Someone has well said, unless you have within you that which is above you, you will succumb to what is around you and eventually fall into what is beneath you. So I'm saying the only way the thief could change his way is his heart has to be changed. Here's the progression. What you believe, what you believe determines how you behave. And how you behave determines who you become. So our job is, as a church, is to try to change the hearts of people through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there are people you're going to encounter, <laughs> you and I will see them all the time, who are simply beating people up. Secondly, not only people who will beat you up, but there are people who will pass you up. If the first group represents what's yours is mine, I'll take it. The second group says, what's mine is mine, and I'll keep it. Remember I said a minute ago, us four no more shut the door. Uh, philosophy is get all you can, can all you get, set on the lid, spoil the rest. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't have to do anything for anybody. I got my group in. Why should I care about anybody else? And yet Jesus is calling. He's saying, look, you're to, my, to be my church. You're to be my followers. You're to do what I did. You're to be someone who is helping people, who's giving, who is serving. You're to be about other people. But that's not the nature that a lot of people have. 
In, in fact, notice the story. It's interesting. Um, in the story, the lawyer says, well, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to help? Have you ever thought about the first question that is asked of God in the Bible is in Genesis 4, and it was asked by Cain after he killed his brother, and he said, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, people have been, human nature has been trying to get out of helping people since the beginning of time. I'm saying it's not natural to want to do for others, that, particularly that you don't even know. It's not natural, it's supernatural. In fact, I don't think it's possible to love God unless you do genuinely love your neighbor. As a church, I think the closer we get to the heart of God, the more we're going to want to help broken, hurting people. I think that's the proof of a church that is genuinely connected to the heart of God. If you love God, you love who he loves, and he loves people. And so I'm saying that when you look in the story, you have this man beaten up, some will beat you up, left for dead, bloody and broken, and then there were some he encountered who passed him up. And it's interesting that Jesus talks about who passed him up. He mentions two types of people. He said the priest. Now, the priest obviously represents religion. Can you imagine the man as he's broken and bleeding and laying on the side of the road? He looks up and sees this religious person coming his way, and he had to assume, surely if anybody's going to help me, it's a religious person. <laughs> and instead of helping him, he walks by him. Sadly, some people... <laughs> would do better with a bad encounter with an atheist than a bad encounter with a Christian. It'd make my job easier. Sometimes, honestly, I have to follow behind people like a guy with a shovel behind the elephant. <laughs> There's a famous quote that was attributed to Gandhi when he said, I might have become a Christian had I ever seen one. So I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, the greatest argument for Christianity is still a Christian, and the greatest argument against Christianity is still a Christian. And I'm saying if we aren't careful, we'll become a bad example, or rather a good example of a bad example. Here's this religious man, and instead of helping this broken, bleeding man, just doing what he could, he walks by him. He ignores him. He doesn't do anything to help him. I promise you, if I knew your story and we had time to talk through your story, you've had an encounter with someone you thought would help you that didn't. You've shared your heart with someone you thought cared about you and you found that they didn't. One of the biggest difficulties to navigate through in life are the people that you thought you could count on who passed you by. And that's why I'm saying in church world, it's what makes our job so hard. It's so many times people will have a bad encounter. They're broken, they're bloodied, they're beat up. They didn't do anything wrong. They couldn't help their condition. And all of a sudden, instead of looking to a church or looking to a Christ follower, help me up, I just need to help get back on my feet, they, they pass them by. They don't help them. So you have the religious person. Then you had the Levite. What does the Levite represent? The law keeper, the lawgiver. I would describe it as a legalist. Probably looking at the man, again, this is a little supposition on my part, but probably looking at him saying, you probably violated the law. You obviously did something wrong to get yourself in the position that you're in. Because something caused the Levite to justify in his own mind how he could walk by the man and do nothing to help him. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, the Bible talks about people who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. They have, they have the presence of the Holy Spirit. They, have, they know Jesus, but, but they, they, they don't do anything with the things that they know. 
they, they don't take that power and they don't take that presence and they don't share that with people who don't know Jesus, especially people who are broken. And I'm saying, you have to be very careful that you don't get kind of pigeonholed into that philosophy where you only care about you and you don't care about those around you. And I'm saying, if you struggle with that, and I struggle with it from time to time, and what helps me, and maybe this helps you, is that when I press into God and I say, Lord, help me to love you as I should, you know what he starts doing? He starts helping me love other people as I should. I said a minute ago, you cannot love God and not love your neighbor. Listen to 1 John 4.20. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. That's pretty straight. I understood that. If a man say, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother that he sees, how can he love God that he hasn't seen? I mean, John's just laying it out there, man. He's just saying, gosh, if ever the church needs to get back to being the church and helping broken, bleeding, broken, beat up people, it's now. It's interesting, Galatians 6, when Paul was writing and was talking about the role of Christians, he said this, he said, if a, if, if a person is overtaken in a fault, now the imagery in the Greek language is the idea of someone who gets ran down, overtaken, like the man in Jesus' story, beaten and left for dead, just got beat up. He says, those of you who are spiritual respond to that one. Meaning that one of the ways you know who is going to step up and help the guy are the people who are spiritual. And then he uses this word, restore him. Restore him. It's interesting, in the Greek, the word restore is the same word to use to reset a bone. Think about the man being broken and beat up. I don't know how many of you guys have ever broken a bone but if you've ever broken a bone and gone to the hospital or to the doctor, one of the things you want them to do when they treat you is to be gentle. <laughs> Would you agree? You, you want them to be very careful because that is a broken bone. Every weekend, online and on campus, we have broken people who come to our church. And one of the things we as a church need to be is gentle. I mean, the Bible says concerning the good Samaritan, he saw the man, he saw his condition. And he just did the scene, he went to the man. And not only did he see him and go to him, but he did everything he could to help the man. And he even made a gift, he con contributed his resources to make sure the inn had enough money to consistently help him recover. He went all in. I mean, the third person I see in the story is the person that I wanna be and the person that I pray our church will emulate is those who will pick you up. You're gonna have those that'll beat you up. You're gonna have those who will pass you up, but we need to be among those who will pick you up. What is the attitude of those who pick you up? Well, if the first one is, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. If the second one is, is what's mine is mine, I'm gonna keep it. Then the third one is, what's mine is yours, I'll share it. I'm willing to share it. It's the spirit of koinonia that you, you see in Acts chapter two when the church started, and then again in Acts chapter four. And the reason that's significant is the church went through great persecution. You see, when a Jewish person became a Christ follower, most of them were put out of the synagogue. If you were de-synagogued, you couldn't buy, sell, or trade with other Jewish people in the city, which means you're probably gonna lose your business. Can you imagine you business owners out there if no one came through the doors of your business? You couldn't sell online, you, no one, everybody shuns you, no one had anything to do with you. It isn't long until you would be looking for someone to help you. I got bills to pay, I got a family to feed. I mean, I, and back then there wasn't a social network. It was good luck with all that. And so the social network back in the day was the church. 
And, and, and to be honest with you, the reason so many people look to government and not to God is many times the church has just failed to help people. So we'd like to help you, but the storehouse is empty. We don't have any bread over there. <laughs> it's not the heart. It's, it's the provision. And so I'm suggesting to your heart that <laughs> this man, this Samaritan, this, this one that Jesus is identifying with and the one we need to identify with in our life and in our church life is someone who not only sees the need of other people, but is willing to do what they can to help them. You, you, we can't do everything for everyone. Remember the story of the hurricane that hit the beach and after the hurricane in the wee hours of the morning, guy's walking down the beach and his buddy was going to meet him. They always walk together. And so he walks along. He sees his buddy way down the beach. And he notices his buddy's doing something kind of funny. He's reaching down, grabbing something, throwing it out in the, back out in the surf. As he gets closer to him, he sees thousands of starfish that washed up on the beach after the storm. And, and he says, man, what are you doing? He goes, I'm, I'm trying to get these starfish back in the water. He said, there's thousands of them. You can't save all those starfish. And what difference does it make? And he held one in his hand and said, makes a big difference to this one. And can I tell you, we can't help everybody. We're limited. We're, a, we're a limited. Re but what's important is to help the ones we can. Let's help who we can. Let's do what we can. And when that young lawyer realized, wow, I need to be sensitive to the people around me. I need to be willing to give of my resources. You know, the end really represents the church a place where people can be restored, where we reset the bones and we try to get them back out into the game. Well, I can give my resources to make that happen. I can give my time to make that happen. What's mine is thine. I'm willing to share it. And that's when that young attorney finally realized, oh, that's the proof of being a Christian. And Jesus said, go down and do likewise. Do what he did. He set the example. Do what you can to make a difference in the lives of others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. You promised in Isaiah that it will never return void. It always accomplishes its purpose. So Father, help us to hear this word and to know that there are really three kinds of people and we could be one of those three kinds. Someone that's critical and tearing people down and beating them up. Or we could become very apathetic and just say, you know what, good luck with all that. I got my own stuff. And we could pass them up. Or we could be like Jesus said in the story, this is how you need to be. You need to be one of those that'll pick them up. That'll help them. Get them to the end. Help them get them to a church. Say, look, I, I can't do everything for you, but my church can help you. And then, Lord, when we get them here, help, them, help us, Lord, to be faithful. To not only help them with some food and some basic needs that they have, but to share you with them. Because we know nothing in their life ultimately changes until the heart changes. So, Father, help us to catch what this looks like. How we can participate in it. Father, I pray we'll see a move of your spirit in the life of our church that would cause us to do more, to get more involved, to get more invested in the life of this ministry as we genuinely try to help hurting people. And finally, Lord, I pray for my friends who may never have trusted you as Savior. I pray this would be that moment where they humbly pray this prayer and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, 
I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.